1: Boxing Day Miracles. Arsenal play well and win a match, and then in a bonus, Spurs decide to become Arsenal at the funniest time possible. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. So get this, we won a football match. We not only won it, we played pretty well. We not only played pretty well, we got performances from bright young talents and we did it in a big game. And then, and then, if you were um, bored enough to watch that other shitty team in North London play against Wolves, they decided to ape the arsenal. They've had 20 plus years to try to be us at our height, but no, they decided to be us at our low And they took one shot in the last 70 minutes of their game against Wolves. One shot. Jose Mourinho football, truly alive and well. And I I think we can all agree they will be plummeting down the table as we will be rising. And it wouldn't surprise me if not only do we finish in the top four, uh, win the Europa League, Uh, then probably win the Champions League next season, but also if Spurs wind up the ones in the relegation battle. So all of that uh, truly on tap for a 2021 that will surely be the best year ever. 2020 having been, let's just say, disappointing. So a very Merry uh, Christmas and Boxing Day to you if you celebrated those sorts of things. And a a bright and happy New Year on the way. uh, Here to discuss an exhilarating victory with me is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, Luke. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stubberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there, and Paul, you can find him on Twitter. Pause, do my pants. Hold pause. Woo! Racking my brain to decide, Clive, if we should trash another transfer by doing a Julian Brandt scouting video. <laughs> in case you're not up to this, we've been doing scouting videos on the Patreon, and um, they're fun and they're great. Except in every instance, strongly linked players have subsequently no longer been linked to us. Uh, we did an O'R scouting video. We did a Sobasly scouting video. Uh, I think there probably will be a Julian Brandt scouting video in our future, but uh, that only tells you that it is not a move that will be happening. Anyway, not a time to talk about transfers, but I will tell you we have some exciting new contributors and content lined up for January, uh, both here and on the Patreon. So we we hope you'll join us one or both of those places, as you prefer, up to you, either way. Uh, let's dive in. And uh, Tim, I you know, I think that... It, and I said this in the Patreon pod, but I'll say it again. I, I think it is easy when you're very, very frustrated to view everything through the lens of frustration. I'm not going to do that here. Instead, uh, I'm just going to say that I am excited about the lineup he picked, and whether you think that he did it out of desperation or he did it because he didn't have Willian and Louise available, or he didn't have this player that play, you know, Bam still coming back. Whatever the reason is, it still results in the fact that we got we got a fun performance thanks in large part to the two players that I think we'll be talking a lot about, and that is uh, Smith Rowe and Martinelli. And the presence of a number 10 between the lines and the presence of Martinelli's energetic and direct running, I think, really were a, were a big part of the story of this game. So, I mean, do you have an opinion on analyzing whether he was forced to make this change or whether it was a change he was planning to make? Or is do you think it's just more important that hopefully he will have seen what this did for the team and that it will become a template going forward? That was you, Tim. Sorry, I apologize if I if I've been breaking up uh, my internet. Is a cup and a string. Oh uh, sorry,
2: sorry, yeah. sorry. Um, I, I thought you said Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess I don't really care that much um, at this stage. I think I I care about what happens next. That's that's what I really care about, um, you know. Because you, you can you can re- you can litigate any number of decisions over the years. Did Ashley Cole only get into the Arsenal team because of Silvino's passport? I mean, who really cares at this stage? Probably yes, but you know. It is what it is. Um, I I would preface that um, or sorry, I'd caveat that by saying I do think Arteta has shown an awareness of what the issues are, which, which I think is the only thing that stopped me going all out. He must be sacked right now. Like he's tried to put players into the, you know, zone 14 and things like that. And he's actually been trying things in order to help us to sustain pressure um, as well. Like, I don't think they've been very good things, to be honest. Like putting Lacazette number ten and and you know just thumping a load of crosses in from the touchline, but mm. he he's at least shown an awareness of what the issues are. And I was you know I I've been thinking about this today as well about this performance and and what we saw from the front four in particular. And uh, I said you know in, on the instant reaction pod, um, you know. A, Probably because I was a bit drunk, I didn't really, I didn't really <laughs> kind of articulate it brilliantly when I said this wasn't like this wasn't a triumph for youth. This was a triumph for playing the good players, and and, and I guess what I meant by that was that that front four was balanced for the first time in a long, long time. Mm. So you had like you had one wide player in Saka, who's a bit dribbly, who likes to get on the ball and take players on. You had another wide player in Martinelli, who likes going in behind balance right there two different types of winger doing two different types of thing uh we had a number nine not not a number nine i'm, I'm enormously enamored of most of the time but a number nine um nonetheless and and what do you know with someone like martinelli running in behind and and kind of filling that space being that second forward he looked much much better and then we had a number 10 um or at least an attacking eight in smith row who was just able to you know lean over towards that left hand side and particularly because martinelli is not you know, he's not a player who you really want to you, you don't want to give him possession out on the touchline. You want to play him in behind is what you want to do. And I think one of the reasons him and Tierney work so well together is because Tierney just pushes up the pitch and essentially pushes him out the way and says, don't worry, I've, I've got the touchline sorted. Don't fucking worry about the touchline. Like I'll do that bit. You go you go infield a bit. And and it was just balanced. It just it just reminded me of like maybe in a fairly old fashioned Wenger front four, which was um you know towards the end one of the only things Wenger could do well consistently was have that balance in the front four, you know those that that balance in your wide players, the centre forward, and the number ten putting it all together. And what you've got as well is um, you know you've got. If, you've, if you're if you're going to have like a player like Martinelli, who's a player you've got you kind of got to try and create for as much as he can create for himself, having that extra creative player in Smith Rowe, you know, having I'd say Saka is like a secondary creator. He's not. You know, he's not Fabregas. He's not going to notch up 15, 20 assists a season, but he'll get a few. But he's one of the guys that gets the game going and, and maybe does the pre-assist. Whereas Smith Rowe is, you know, potentially like the final ball player, um, or at least I think that's what he'll become. And and it, it just looked balanced um, for mm-hmm. the first time. And, and in fairness to some of the guys we're quite down on, you know, maybe William hasn't had that yet. Um, as much as we've not been convinced by his performances, and I think he's had some de- a lot a lot of deserved criticism. Perhaps he hasn't had that that balance yet. Perhaps if um, we see Willian on the right, Martinelli on the left with Smith as Smith Rowe as a number ten, maybe we'll see a better performance from Willian. Maybe that will suit him more, um, having those kind of legs around him. Um and him being the anchor, he's he's certainly done that before for Chelsea and Brazil. So it, it just struck me as as the first time I looked at the front four on paper and thought, yeah, that that's got that's got a nice that's got a nice little balance to it. But um I think the next question, Elliot, that um Arteta's gonna have to face, it's not gonna come up straight away because of their respective fitness issues, but how does he get Martinelli and Aubameyang playing well together? That to me is going to be the the question of the second half of the season, maybe even more than, you know, how many games can Smith Rowe realistically play? Can we get another creator in? Um, Because, Martinelli's best games for Arsenal are always without a Bamiang. Mm. That's that's a situation Arteta's going to have to solve. And I think having two, you know, fairly creative players like Saka and Smith Rowe, I think that's potentially a way of heading it off. If you if you've got two good players you know, ball players, creators. I think you can have two players who, who perhaps don't really want the ball and want to run in behind. But um, and, and like I say, I don't think that's going to come up in the next couple of games because I think Martinelli and Abamyang will share game time. But in the new year, that that's going to be a big question that will come up. Yeah, I mean,
1: look, <laughs> this is a challenge in some ways for Arteta now because Martinelli looks like a game-changing kind of influence, but he's also a player coming back from a long-term injury who has to be managed. Smith Rowe, Looks like a guy who can occupy the kinds of spaces that we need to occupy. And and I'll get your thoughts on that. Obviously, Paul did a, a video that you might have seen on Twitter highlighting Smith Rowe's influence, and he's he's quite proud of it. So um I, I think we should definitely speak about that. Um <laughs> in the Discord begging, begging for clout, begging for credit, uh, which he received and and fairly so. Um but Smith Rowe, a player who's been plagued by injuries soft tissue injuries and not being able to stay fit and so while it will be absolutely devastating to see some of the players we don't want back in the squad come back into the squad they're gonna have to and and it's Arteta's challenge now to figure out how to manage that um and I you know I I'm glad he has that problem to solve because it's a good problem because it means those players have forced themselves into the reckoning and Clive um and, and by the way we're not going to make this all about the young players exclusively because I think two senior players well they're all senior players at this point but Shaka and Tierney definitely deserve credit and we'll certainly speak about that but Clive I mean some of the some of the numbers are interesting to me I mean 30 zone 14 touches most of them in the first 70 minutes we had that centrality we had some of the touches between the lines um in terms of deep touches you know we we had a lot of those we we got the ball into the kind of dangerous areas without just having to cross the ball. There were there were thoughtful ways of accessing the final third and accessing the penalty area that were a little more varied um, and made us just a little more difficult, I think, for Chelsea to live with. 58 touches in the final third for the trio of Martinelli, Saka, and Smith-Rowe, led by Saka with 24. So, I mean, is that for you the thing about this game <clears throat> that is most uh, interesting for us going forward is the variety <clears throat> of attacking approaches, the variety of attacking zones and patterns at least we, we still had a left side bias a dominant left side bias compared to the right side but we we accessed it a lot of times getting between the lines to smithrow get it getting central and so i thought that that was a really nice change of pace um or do you think that maybe i'm overstating the extent to which this was different and that it was just a an improvement on a pattern we've seen previously
3: yeah it's it's been a once the emotions of this game subsided, which they still maybe haven't subsided, as he says... Nor should here. they, by the way. And it
1: feels great to win and win a big game. We should remember that.
3: Yeah. We're all, we're all friends and we enjoy it. We enjoy when we win. We haven't won since early November. This meant a lot. It really did make my Christmas completely alarm. yeah, I'm sure I'm not alone there, right? So, And so I've never been one for thinking that a number 10 is the it's the thing we're looking for. It's a golden ticket. I've never been one for that. I, I like to feel that creativity is about movement and collective movement and cohesive movement as a group of people. Um, so I actually think, you know, with that slant in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, it's not just about Smith-Rowe, but a lot of it was to do with Smith-Rowe. And maybe I have to accept that that player or players like that are important. I do think it's a three-man job. You know what I mean? We, and it's about having that movement and not just a one-man job. So for me, it was a victory for the fundamentals of the game, the basics and the fundamentals, and just simple things I've seen. All backs on the outside, not on the inside. right? Just seeing Saka on the inside and Martelli on the inside, which meant they could be more central. Simple tweak, much more consistent position from Bellerin, much More consistent position from Tierney. Great timing of arrival. The fundamentals of the game, we're going to run more than you, Werner and Pulisic. You better run with us. And we're going to not just go when we've got insecure possession, but we're going to go when we've got secure possession. And that means we're a danger. And you are going to get killed for not tracking us, which is what happened. Just watching the security of Saka when the ball goes into him compared to Pepe when he's not been so secure. Did nothing special. Just looked after it. Kept it moving, Smith Rowe. You often think that the best ability in football is to be available, but his availability on the pitch was just amazing. And he was just available for everybody, whether you're on the outsides, whether you're on the insides. I just thought the fundamentals of football that they showed just being available for your teammate, supporting your teammate. I just thought it was wonderful. But the most important thing, we've seen this before. Tim spoke about balance there. We've had balance before. We've had Pepe, a dribble on one side and a Bamry on the other side, some runs in behind. But it's not just the balance. It's the courage to play and initiate your game and impose your game on your position. And that's what we've lacked. We've lacked courage. And these guys just said, we're playing. We're coming for you. We don't care. And we're showing courage. And suddenly the balance shows up. And suddenly people, you know, someone I've criticised in Bellerin, he trusts his man on the ball. And you think, that's a better partnership, that is. That's a better partnership than Pedro and Pepe. Pepe's being caught in situations. Now he trusts his man. He looks better. You know, so I go, with cause and effect. He looks better. He trusts him. And so little things like that, I thought, were really, really influential. And because you've got that sort of trust and cohesion and collective play and movement and bravery... I think everyone starts to jump on that, and I think everyone starts to look better because of it. We can trust each other, so we, we're we more available. So passes look better, holding looks better, Marie looks better. Anything looks better when players are moving to receive it. And we spoke on the podcast recently about players that are moving to not receive it. You know what I mean? It's just very, very simple details. There was one bit in the game, I don't know if you guys caught it on camera, and then he had a chance to play the ball forward. He didn't play the ball forward. I think he got fouls in the end. And Lacazette went up to him and he pointed forward and like rollocked him. I thought, yeah, they know what's going on here. They're not stupid. They know they've been playing square and back. They want to play forward. They want to see things going in the right direction. And I just thought it was a real win for just football fundamentals, playing the ball forward to your teammate as quickly and as early as fast as possible and getting around him to support him there's one last little thing about number 10s when my one of my mates has got a kid who was at um at luton town and he used to be the number 10 and they used to put a gps on him and he used to like hate it oh, i could be number 10. and the reason why when they always expected number 10 to do the most running and i think a lot of our minds the number 10 just stands between the lines but the number 10 is the one that's got to get out to both sides, got to support the centre midfielders, got to go beyond the centre forward. And they expected him to have the highest kilometres ran. And that's exactly what Smith Rowe had in the first half. He had the most kilometres ran on that pitch. Back to the fundamentals. Outrunning the teammate. I think Arsenal ran 4k more than
4: Chelsea.
3: Hmm. Outrun them completely. I think it's a massive win for the basics of football. And sometimes... Us guys included can get a bit up around backside about analysis. Mm. And I feel the game is really simple. Work, run, impose yourself, show your talent. But earn the right to play. And that's yeah. exactly what we did.
1: I agree with everything you said there, except I think of the three you said, work, run, show your talent. I think there is often an overemphasis on work and run and not enough appreciation that the talent part is the part that none of the work and run part works without working and running bad sorry, players I mean, really, no, to, no no you have
3: to earn the right oh, I get, to no. earn the right to show you talent this, this isn't think. a repudiation
1: of what you're saying i, I, I clive i was sort of oh, taking sorry. another direction which is just to say that like like i i like what tim said the better players were on the pitch this isn't just about youth or harder working or being on the boat or having the right culture smith Rowe is better as a 10 than lacazette martinelli is better than willian saka is better than pepe like these are the better players. And you could even argue that Aubameyang right now on current form and the way he's playing may not work. Although maybe he could play the role Lacazette had in this team. I I was amplifying what you're saying, Clive, which is that like you have to earn the right to play. Yeah, I totally agree. But I think that we sometimes think that you can reduce the failures down to players that aren't working or trying Like at the end of the day, it fits a nice narrative to say Williams walking and he doesn't care and he's not working hard enough. I also don't think Willian is good anymore, right? Like, it fits a narrative to say that Pepe's not working or trying. I think he is. I think this is a player who is scuffling, you know, in terms of what he's actually doing on the pitch. And so, you know, I I honestly think, Clive, that everything you said is exactly right, but we should make sure that when we include the working and the running, that third piece of what you said, the, the show your talent, that's a piece of it, and these players, we shouldn't just call them nice young players. Saka, Smith Rowe, Martinelli—they are talented players, and that is why they excel. Uh, Paul, I, I want to let you have the Smith Rowe section, or not exclusively to yourself, but largely because of your your um you know your your desire to be validated for the video you posted, but also the fact that you've looked closely at him, so you are in a position to uh, to explain his performance. It's funny, right? Because. This is where I think Clive's point also makes a lot of sense too, which is that you don't have to have the best game ever to make a big difference if you add qualities and dynamics that have been missing. He was between the lines all game. He was in space all game. He was available all game, or at least for large chunks of it that I saw. And granted, I'm I'm influenced by your video, which showed off a lot of that. But like, do you think this was a 10 out of 10 Smith-Rowe game or a game where Smith-Rowe's skill set and intelligence provided us something that no other player has quite as effectively provided us. Now, to be fair, I don't want to say we've never had it. I mean, I, I think there have been some games where we've had a bit of it, but he just seems a very natural fit to occupy those areas. I mean, is that what made the performance special? Was it was it an outrageously good performance or a fine performance from a player doing the things we haven't done enough of?
4: You're a bit destructible. Your name's Emil Smith-Rowe. Oh, boy. That's a... You know, you know when you're doing charades and you try and mime the whole movie. That was me miming the whole video. Um, look, I don't even I know what think, video it was.
1: So that's that's a good start. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah, all oh, right. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, not many. It, it's kind of it's an underground video because I don't want to get taken down on 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 the twitters. But anyway, you can find it if you go go and look at my timeline. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> to the sound of gold by um yes. he's actually an arsenal supporter, Martin Camp.
1: really, okay.
4: so, uh, yeah, so I don't think he'll be the one who gets me for, for my rights
2: violations. It'll be those bastards at sky. Um, can I can I just say, Paul, I, I know the drummer from Spandau Ballet very well. He's an Arsenal season ticket holder and I go to Arsenal with his daughter. So um yeah. you might you, you might have to um you might have to bribe true. me to uh, <laughs> keep them can off we, your back.
1: I, I don't know if true is a song that really fits a, a, a football comp, but we should try it.
4: <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I thought about it. I thought about it. This works really well though, I gotta say. Um so the like in the instant reaction podcast I said about Smith Rowe, I thought I was I, I had a real insight here that this was only like a six out of ten performance from Smith Rowe. It seemed like everybody came to that conclusion too. Um, and I feel in a way I feel that does him a bit wrong because he's actually very, very good in this. He doesn't have a finishing moment, right? okay, he lays the ball off to Saka. But he's really fucking good. Um, he he has the Ramses about him, and what I mean by I, I don't know if he'll ever be as good as Ramsay, probably not. M- not many many would, um, but he's always moving into those pockets, giving goes. He's so quick, um, and Martinelli, holy fuck, you just forget how fast they are. There's that cl- there's the clip we'll have seen of Martinelli taking off. There's nothing no finer sight than Martinelli taking off after a fullback who knocks it then back to his goalkeeper. And the goalkeeper's got loads of time, or so he thinks. And Martinelli gets faster and faster and faster. And we win that ball back. They push it out to the other side. Mm. Uh, you know, Martinelli's the trigger. Uh, um, Smith-Rowe's in on the press. Uh, Saka's there. Um, and as as we talked about a little earlier, it just brings every other fucker to, to life with that kind of movement. Smith-Rowe... This isn't a one-off. Uh, uh, I watched everything I could of smith road at Huddersfield. I've just always like some players. Just you, you just like you just enjoy watching everything they do. And he's one of these guys. Um, and he's just a give and go, run ahead. He, he moves so fast. When when players run that fast, him and Martinelli, they put so much pressure on the opposition. And. Like, they'll be on both sides of the pitch. They'll be all over you. It's kind of like ha- like having 12 guys out there. Um, and I think that energy in the first half uh, really knocked Chelsea for six. Uh, we won all the second balls. Uh, and every other player responded to it. I mean, I saw Chaka I haven't seen for a long time. I mean, I, I end up defending him <clears throat> on a regular basis. And you see a game like this and you're like, well, maybe I should have gone gone in stronger on my <laughs> defenses of him. Um, I mean, he lights it up in the first half. It, it, remi- it reminded me of that time he said he was a, he was a, more of a 10 than the DM, CM we see him as. Now I don't see him as a 10. But man, when you got mo- mobility around, you got people moving, making those runs. He's he's pointing at Tierney to get up the pitch in mid-flow, moving Martinelli around. Uh, spraying the ball around when we thought he'd forgotten how to pass. Well, apparently he hasn't. Um, and like it just brings it all to life. But I think Smithrow, like it's a toss up. Was it Smithrow or Martinelli that was the difference here? Um, both. But you know, if we're going into the market for an, an advanced midfielder, an attacking midfielder in January, you need two, which is probably a good thing for Smithrow because. Um, I don't think he will we'll get six months out of him uninterrupted. Plus, it's a lot to ask of a youth. But uh, a good attacking midfielder plus Smith Rowe, uh, you could start building a style of play. And like just the running, the runs, and where he runs to. Like it, it, if you watch his patterns when he runs into the box, you just know he's a he's got an eye for moving to the penalty spot. The number of times we got four players into the box. I guess you touched on it with where we got the touches and the uh, what zones we were playing in. But like, if you watch the video just to see how many times we get four players into the box, our uh, overlapping lapping full bo- backs, you know, I had a debate a few days ago about whether Bellerin was any good at crossing and blah, blah, blah. Well, like everything changes when you get four players into the box, your crosses and your, your floated crosses, your crosses along the ground, are going to look a lot better when you've got four players you're trying to hit instead of just Lacazette surrounded by three, you know, two centre backs and a couple of other cloggers, and everything starts to look good. Now, how do you get four players into the block, uh, into the box, plus two full backs getting forward? Well, you probably need players who can run the fucking socks off, like Tierney, Bellerin, uh, Smith Rowe, Martinelli, mm. and Saka. And like they'll get you up and down that pitch. Yeah. Um. I, I, I'll I'll add in one other line. There's the famous there's the famous line about Jurgen Klopp who said, pressing turnovers, transitions, basically a bunch of toothbrushes that already have the toothpaste on it. Oh, for um, God's You know, we decided not to work the tube up the toothpaste oh, every time. All right, time, Clive, you want to is- add
1: on Smith Rowe? <laughs>
4: Are you done? We just went at
1: them. <laughs> I mean, the
4: toothpaste no, thing. No, just I, hang on. I've got another point.
3: <laughs> no, I just wanted to say um, it was quite interesting watching Smith-Rowe. It's quite educational. I've got to be honest, And there's, a, there's an old Wayne Gretzky quote, right, saying, I skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it's been. And I think that's something that Smith-Rowe brought to the game. He almost read the game, bit like, Where is it going to be? Let me get myself over there. And create some overloads on that side. Then, you know, the team needs me to run beyond, so I'll run beyond. And I thought his intelligence was way beyond his body, actually. And um, and the only thing that's stopping this kid is the body. And I'll I watch Willett come on the piece later on. Someone who I like, who's got the body, but he hasn't got that brain. And um, it's quite apparent even in this game there's a different skill set that they have and I just thought that's that's what we've lacked a little bit of um intelligence something we used to take for granted in not so long ago
1: yeah um, there's another really interesting quote a Michael Scott quote actually from the office you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take Wayne Gretzky Michael Scott look it up um so and by the way do do go watch um do go watch uh, the video that Paul made. It is really good. I I think as many things as there are at Arsenal right now that are confusing, confounding, and and somewhat upsetting, it felt so good to win this game. It felt so good to play. And and look, I mean, we can maybe debate the, the quality of play. I mean, I thought we played well. It's still a game where we get a penalty, we get a free kick, and we get a cross that goes in. Although, of course, he meant it. Of course, he meant it. But, you know, and that's not to take away from it. I'm saying that that in any situation, you know, Arteta has been complaining lately that we've been a bit unlucky and we've criticized him for that. But the funny thing is, this was a day where the luck went for us and we earned that luck by playing a little better because the penalty's a little bit soft. The free kick is, you know, a one in a 20 and the, the sack of goals are one in a hundred. And you win 3-1 and they miss a penalty and, and they have a header from Thiago... Silva that, that is a point-blank header that he misses. And like this is a problem with football being a low-scoring low sport. But I we've always said the variance thing is important, right? In that if you play well and you put the other team under pressure and you have deep possession and you take shots, you earn the right to win the luck. And we definitely did that here. And so if this is a game where you want to say we got a bit lucky in the other games we got a bit unlucky, I would say this was a game where we... You know, to Clive's point about earning the right to play, we earned the right to get the lucky breaks, and we haven't earned that right in previous games because we haven't created enough dangerous situations. Um, but I, I definitely think we should stop for a minute and celebrate beating an expensively assembled Chelsea team with three of our front four being 19, 20, and 19. For whatever is wrong at the club, that is special. That is a foundation. That is what we need you know, and and we have committed a bit to some older players that maybe we wish we didn't. But this coming summer, we have a chance to clear out a lot of the sort of aging stuff in our closet and and refresh our outfit, refresh, refresh our our ensemble. And uh, you know, I hope we do it the right way. I hope we lean into some some younger pre prime, early prime players because this foundation is is exciting. We saw that today, and it, it's just incredible that a 19 year old Martinelli can come back from a year out injured. And have this kind of spark plug influence on a club. Uh, Tim, you know, I'm not usually a fan of the the sort of narrative, cliche-driven analysis. But, you know, I, I'm a fan of other terrible analysis. But I cannot avoid the idea that, like, Martinelli has re- revived the club to some extent. Just the energy he brings to the pitch and, and the way he jumps off the screen. I mean, he really does have that generational talent kind of quality about him that you... You just want him on the pitch as much as possible, which is a danger that Arteta is going to have to navigate. But do you think it is fair to say that he he seems all by himself, at least at some level, to be revitalizing a, a team that really looked dead and buried? Because I think his influence goes beyond his quality. I think his his running, his aggressiveness, his energy on the pitch, his nonstop engine to press, it, it does seem a bit infectious. Or, or am I leaning into a narrative too mm. much there?
2: No, no, I think you're absolutely right. I, I you know, the, what what's the word Clive has been using a lot in recent weeks about being untainted, um, and that and that's Martinelli. And um, I know uh, James and Andrew had a, a discussion about this on on the Askcast about how like um, young players, you know, young players don't have that fear because they haven't been hurt as many times. I, I mean, which I think is is very well said and very and very true. But I mean, we should. Take into account that Smith Rowe and Martinelli have literally been hurt quite recently, and uh, for me, it's a huge positive to see Martinelli playing like that off the back of a bad knee injury. Um, absolutely no sense of kind of caution or fear in his game when usually most players. It, it would totally understandable. Like most players, take a few games to get into it, particularly when you you play that kind of high energy style. But um, and yeah,
4: and to your point, he had to be taken off the previous game at yeah. halftime because he did exactly that. He ch- chased down like I think his patron saint must be Saint Jude. I mean, he goes
2: after no-hopers like a fecking lunatic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 that in itself creates doubt. And 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 it's it is brilliant to see. And it has well, I say it's come at the right time. I mean, perhaps a month earlier <laughs> would have been a bit nicer, but. Um, but a- absolutely. And, and, you know, like I said earlier, I, I do still think in the back of my mind that there is, um, you know, I can't escape this, um, this idea that all of his best performances come without Aubameyang, which isn't a criticism of of Bamiyang, I just think they're, they're fairly similar types of player, but, um, it's, you know, and again, like, you know, Paul's been talking about this in recent weeks, like, like sometimes when you're a bit down on your luck, just fucking move just move a bit and we haven't seen enough of that and what what it means is you just create that jeopardy because when you've got a player like Martinelli not every single pass has to like land perfectly on the end of his toe he'll like, like you know he'll run after it or he'll run out you know he'll run on to uh, lost causes he'll run on to hopeful passes if you're in a bit of trouble and you just want to whack a diagonal he'll go after it. Um, and he might make something. And and that just that that's that's a real comfort, I think, particularly when you look at the fairly low technical quality of our midfield and um, just having that kind of that out ball It's you know, it's not quite having the lump it up to the big man type option, but it is, you know, just just whack it over there and he'll chase after it like a like, you know, like a dog chasing a ball in the park. And, and it is just that injection of of energy that we've really, really needed. Because when you look in recent weeks, I mean, we've got quite an aging forward line um, in Willian. Like, Willian has never been, like, Willian's been a hard worker in his career. He's never been that kind of high-pressing type of player. He's much more positionally disciplined. You know, Lacazette has, has looked leggy. Aubameyang... Um, you know, he he doesn't really get involved in games, so it's it's difficult, um, really. Whereas whereas Martinelli's just got that kind of constant involvement. But I think you're right as well. I think when a player does what he does, it. Um, I, I I think the the player we saw it have the biggest influence and impact on was Tierney, um, because I think Tierney looked at it and thought, ah, oh, okay, he's like. He's pressing in the 18-yard area. That means I need to be like 15, 20 yards further forward. I, I, you know, I don't need to be hanging around back here. I need to be, you know, halfway line and beyond. Like I need to get up there with him to support him. And um, and and it's it is it's exactly what we've needed. But I mean, for for Martinelli to to come back from an injury like that. And and to your point, Elliot, about um, I guess a bit of desperation let's not forget in the four games before he was injured, he was an unused sub four games in a row. Arteta couldn't find a way. um, sorry to keep going on about it, but to get him and a into the team. So before mm. he was injured, Martinelli wasn't even coming off the bench. So Arteta, and I'm not saying that means Arteta doubted his talent, but he couldn't find a way of getting in, him into the team. Now the situation is such that he can't find a way of not having him on the pitch. And that, That is enormous credit to a 19 year old who, you know, this is almost to me as incredible as the fact that he came from Brazilian regional football and just came into the Premier League and just said, yeah, that's fine. I'm having this. And now he's, you know, he's had like the first real setback of his career, which has been on, you know, gone on a steep upward trajectory. And, you know, he's had this one setback. Um, this big knee injury. He's come back into a side that's really struggling, particularly in attack, and it just hasn't impacted him whatsoever. Not in his body, not in um, you know what what's going on around him. He just keeps doing what he's doing, and that that to me is, as you say, that is the sign of a remarkable generational talent because it shows that that this boy he's he's got it in the head. Um, as well in the, as, as in the feet. and I think if you read about his upbringing and things like that, you can see that that's been he's been prepared for this for for quite a long time despite his young age and and yeah, I, I think we've got an absolute superstar and um, i I don't think he'll be at Arsenal for a hugely long time, but um, I, I'm kind of fine with that. I'm fine with the idea of um, super clubs wanting our players again rather than wanting to dump their retirees on us.
1: Yeah, let's just hope that we have him long enough to benefit from some of his immense talent and that when it is time for him to move on, instead of puffing out our chest and letting him run down his contract because we were too shy to sell him, we do what Liverpool did. You know, we cash in for $100 and we rebuild our squad with it. Um, You know, that's one for later but for right now, he certainly looks like a player who we we will get a lot of benefit out of. And I, I do think, by the way, we should just mention Martinelli being sort of new-ish back and Smith-Rowe getting his first Premier League start dominate the discussion and will probably overshadow our discussion of Saka who I think at least we can say it tells you all you need to know about this 19-year-old that he was so good in a dominant win that we probably won't talk about him much because there are other players whose good performances are more interesting because his are sort of expected at this point. Um, Clive, so... I do want to talk about tyranny a bit, but maybe before we do that, we should get to the guy who arguably has a claim to man of the match, um, which I can't believe the words are coming out of my mouth and they certainly taste like vinegar, but it's Granite Shaka. I, I think the fact of the matter is you can see the difference between flawed players who can thrive in certain environments and players who just aren't good enough in my view. Mohamed Elneny in a good performance still wasn't good, still had a mare. I just don't see a reason why that is a player that we want to persist with. Granted, Shaka, who's a player that drives us nuts, and I'm not saying suddenly he's great, he is a flawed player, a player with some really top-level skills and some really big flaws. And the irony is, in this game, we saw a bit of both. Early in the game, there was a, a period where we lost the ball and he had to run back towards his goal, and Pulisic went by him like... He was stuck in mud, which we've seen. But most of the game, we got to see good Shaka. I think the presence of the runners up the left-hand side really played into his strengths, really allowed him to just get the ball and hit it to the area because he knew where he had the runners. He knew where to distribute it. It set up really nicely for him. And credit where it's due. In a game where the setup fit him, we saw a good Granite Shaka performance, a performance that deserves the credit that I am now giving him. Uh, And I'm not even going to say reluctantly, excitedly giving him. So, Clive, do you want to do you want to uh, heap some praise on a player who I don't think is the future for us but who on this day showed he can still deliver a positive performance if we put him in positions to thrive
3: yeah I always look at the centre midfield area a lot as you know when you look at all the passing maps afterwards there's always one guy in the centre and it's normally him and you know it's even him when parties there which is a debate for the future maybe Mm. Um, and he is very central to us and I never worry about when he gets run by Pulisic because if they were in a 40-meter race, we know who'd win. So there are things that he can't do and they're just ne- he's never going to be able to do. He can't sprint like Pulisic. But he can pass the ball forward at a rate of knots and he hasn't been doing that recently. He's been taking the safety option. And so, and so I look at this game, I look at the whole rhythm to this game and how we played and how front-footed we were. And he was part of that massively. And, you know, I think Paul just put in there about he's a very active presser. And I agree with that. He's an active presser when he feels front-footed, when he feels positive. When he drops away, he becomes a from-the-side from tackler. And that's really risky because that looks clumsy it looks oafish. And he's doing it in areas that can only hurt us. When we're playing in there half like we were, I don't know what average position was for this game, but particularly first half, I'd love to know what that looks like. But I, it felt a lot more forward to me. Mm. So now he's thinking forward. He's going to get things in front of him, rather than think I've got to protect these guys behind me, and I'm going laterally across the area. So he looked better. We won the we won the outsides in fullback areas. We were two and one out there on a on a number of times, and he just looked more. He just looked more positive. And we spoke on the instant reaction, earlier, didn't we, about our intention to play. And, you know, I watched this game and I did not feel my hand up. When that team was announced, I was absolutely petrified. Oh, yeah, me too. I was petrified. Yeah, yeah. I I could not see this. I could not see this level of performance. I wasn't thinking these were the best players. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. I look at the Chelsea team. They had rumours of injury at fullback. Everyone's available. Their strongest team they can pick was available. And their bench must have cost 300 million. Right. And all different scenarios covered on the bench. And I'm thinking, crikey, this is going to be bad. How are we going to do it? And we did it with, with courage and bravery and real front footedness and aggressiveness. And Shaka was part of that. And although I, we went a bit heavy on, you know, we all were very upset about because We're desperate for a win. We're desperate for those three points which we feel we're going to get. He did that. And because we're fans, and because we're so sensitive and because we want to be made to feel special, we're all waiting for an apology. It didn't come. You know, then he gets picked. Some people are upset about that. I, I was too scared to be upset about that. actually. <laughs> and um, I, didn't, I didn't get around to that part of my emotions. But then he goes and plays. And that is the best way to shut people up. Just play well. Just play to your potential. Do what you can do really well. You're a good passer. You've got leadership potential you're quite aggressive in the challenge. Do those things. Bring those positive attributes to the game more often. And then when you fail someone, we won't really care. Because we know well, you're going to fizz the ball out to Martelli, you're going to fizz the ball into Lacazette, you're going to fizz the ball out to Saka. Just keep doing that, will you? And let them go. And just get out behind them. Don't go past them like Spurs. They look behind you, and there's five men behind you. Don't do that. Be responsible. Have some responsibility about your game and I thought he didn't, he wasn't alone, by the way, he wasn't alone. There were many others that had a real discipline and responsibility for the game state. In all charge off thinking we're in charge of this game, it's just bowl forward. They were aware, they were looking over their shoulders, they were supporting their teammates, creating close connectivity, the sort of things we just haven't seen. And that's done by a real team bond and a team ethic, and yeah, he was part of that, it's so a fair play to him.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I'm not going to give Paul the chance to talk about it. I'm just not. I'm going to throw another question at Paul, um, and we're going to move on because he got his praise, he deserved it, he earned it, and I'm not letting Paul do a victory lap. I'm just not. Paul, this is how small a man I am. I'm, I'm not I'm not doing it. I'm instead going to say that I, I'd like you to amplify a little bit of what um, Tim said earlier about Tierney because, you know, it's interesting. I don't think he's been perfect this season. Nobody has been perfect this season, but... I definitely think that this was a game where the players around him brought out the best of I him. Mean, there was one moment, it was for the Martinelli shot that was blocked a little bit and then um, as a result, uh, um, Mendy was able to save it pretty easily from the center of the box, top of the box. They're running together on the counterattack. Tierney has the ball at his feet and he sort of just scans a little bit and, and knows Martinelli's making the run with him. Martinelli makes such an in- intelligent run because instead of really pushing forward and then catching up to the center backs who are retreating. He kind of drops in a little bit. He just slows it down a little bit. So he's ahead of the, the midfield and and in front of the central defenders and Tierney just slides a really cultured ball, maybe five, six yards to his right across to Martinelli in perfect stride to, to take the shot on. And you know, I, I think sometimes this season we've seen Martinelli just want to push run and get the cross in, but, this wasn't a game where he did that as much. I thought he was much more thoughtful in his decision making. He obviously wins the penalty by roasting. Uh, who is it? Is it um, James Reese James on yep. the on the touchline? And like, who knew that Tierney had that in him? This this felt like just a lot more technically speaking, a lot more advanced performance from Tierney, who at times this season I've thought was, was always very good. Always liked his his running and his work and, and his awareness, but felt a little bit push, run, and cross. This this performance was very well-rounded from him, and I think easy to lose sight of it in light of the, the exciting young players, but do you want to maybe um, heap a little more praise on Tierney? Because I think he's been one of our players of the season, and this was one of his better games.
4: Yeah, I thought he was great. Um, I think one of my frustration in recent times with him is he's fallen prey <clears throat> to uh, whatever uh, additional virus is going around at at Arsenal in terms of running forward then stopping then passing back i mean he, he's a pretty big offender on that one in recent times mm. i think maybe for i think the we same call that uh,
1: el neni 20
4: <laughs> yeah el neni 20 mm-hmm. um, hyphen 20 mm-hmm. so I was going to say
1: nineteen, but that wouldn't have made any sense.
4: It wouldn't. Um, but he's, uh, I, I like there's a reason so many players are starting to do had been starting to do that. It was just like, who are you going to pass it to? Like we we didn't have. Aubameyang stopped running into that channel for whatever reason. The what you might now call the Martinelli channel. I mean, you can hit, you can hit a first time. Blind, round the corner, ball over the top into that alley, and Martinelli's going to be running there already, even before the pass is on, even before the ball's hit. He's just running. Um, so that just that just changed the whole mindset. And um, there are a couple of instructive moments in my little video. And one of them is Chaka running forward with the ball. Wait, well, you did pointing... a video?
1: Hadn't heard about it. You're, yeah.
4: you're talking... <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to keep it on the low down here. Yeah. Safe. Um. And, like, what you see is he's pointing and running, and who he's pointing at is um, Tierney to get his arse up the pitch. Um, and to me, that's all just part of the thinking that, hang on, guys, when we get the ball, we go. And, you know, Tierney loved it. And I think Tierney and Bellerin as a pair, um, in a way, like stock rising-wise, um, I think, Think and have thought Tierney's been in and around this, but this really got to show off what he could do. And, you know, most of our attacking, again, strangely, is still going to be on the left-hand side, as it was in this game. Doesn't have to be. We were playing through the middle. We were playing up the right, but still pretty dominant playing up the left-hand side. Maybe it was a little bit Pablo Marie being the better passer and and a left-footer or whatever, and Chaka being a left-footer and not pushed into that left-back position, that kind of quirky thing that helped him early uh, in Arteta's tenure to kind of protect him from being pressed. And we found out you don't need to protect him from being pressed by putting him in a quirky left-back position. You need to protect him by getting the 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 opposition turned the other way and chasing our attackers. That creates all the space to, to make Chaka look a little better. And then he can start feeding Tierney and Martinelli. Uh, yeah, those guys really look good. But the, my big stock rising in terms of full backs was Bellerin because he began to match it from the other side. And, you know, where you could have persuaded me in recent times that that Bellerin's kind of a bit of a wash uh, in terms of his attacking versus his defending. You see, if we start playing like this on a more regular basis, then Bellerin's attacking attributes really start to pay off versus his his, the, the, his challenges as a fullback, a, a little guy who's kind of always trying to compensate for the fact that uh, one-on-one he's going to lose physical battles. But, like, you know, the, his his attacking out, outweighed his defending by a long way in this game, kind of mirroring what, what Tierney was able to provide from the other side. I also loved the craft of getting the penalty. I think it was a penalty, and I think... What the some of the commentary about him leaving his leg behind misses is that it's Rhys James putting his arm forward and turn and uh, leaning into Tierney that twists the body around and sure he puts some extra mustard on it. And quite frankly, I don't give a fuck. We're here to win when they change the rules so that it's fair. Great. Um, I think this was a penalty, but I'm all for our players having the craft that if you come at them when they've got ahead of you, they're going down. It's way ahead of what some other players do it, out there for, for he's got uh, every right. There's contact penalties.
1: there. He's got every right to go down. And, and I mean, I think there are Absolutely. differences, right? There was the Sabios dive in a recent game. I'm not sure. Was it, was it a Europa League? No, was it City in the League Cup where he's... I can't even remember. Maybe it was a League game. I think so it was by- before
4: City. Yes, yeah. Southampton. Um, Southampton. Southampton. There it is. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, where
1: he's in the box, he can slot it across for you know a tap in goal, and instead he throws himself to the ground and like you know that that's sort of a more cowardly attempt here. I mean, here Tierney, you know, rounds the defender. He's on the touchline. It's it's all very crowded he's out, and if he position. doesn't go down, Reece
4: James is leaning leaning forward and into him. Fuck him.
1: Well, yeah, and he's he's not in a position to do anything at that point because either he goes down and wins the penalty, or he tries to be super super honest, and James's little bit of contact takes him out of the play. So I you know yeah. I have a little more sympathy for that because it's one of those where you know the ones where you say oh he's too honest there. I think that would have been too honest to stay up because if he doesn't go down, he's kind of bodied out by James' movement there, and and yeah. the the chance goes begging, the the move goes begging. So like he goes down and gets the penalty, or he doesn't go down and it's probably just enough of a foul
4: to to throw him off the play. So I I don't know what I'm trying to say, so let's move on. Um, I'll add one other thing. His mentality through all these tough times has been excellent. And and Leno, too. I mean, they've both stepped up, stood up. Um, When they've talked, when they've been interviewed, how they've carried themselves, those guys have been absolute pros um, during these tough and dark times. So fair fucks to him.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Beller, and I I thought he was excellent in this game as, you know, as someone who contributed to the attack. I mean, most of his passes, or, you know, not most of them, but a third of his passes were in the attacking third. Um, He had a pass inside the penalty area. He created two chances from open play. Uh, He created a big chance. You know, these are things that a lot of fullbacks don't do, and we don't have a lot of players. Yeah, trust. Yeah, that's that's a thing. Thrust is a thing, and, and the more you thrust, the more eventually it will come. Did did I? Oh thrust. boy, I can't. Uh, did I just say the more you thrust, the more eventually it'll oh, Manscaped. No, we're not. We're not doing it. I refuse. Not <laughs> not on not on that note. Um, Tim, pull the manscape ripcord. I need to pull some ripcord on this podcast very soon. But Paul, uh, uh, not Paul. Please no, no more Paul. Uh, Tim, no, no, I'm ready. No, no, I, I'm sure you are. Uh, You know, one of the things that that I think will be debated is the end game here, how we finished out this game. And I think this is a great example for me of an acceptable time to do what we did versus the Southampton game, where I thought Mm. that we leaned into it far more than makes any human sense. Um, This was a game where we had a 3-0 lead, and we basically decided to start sitting a bit deeper. And yes, we got a bit battered in the last 20 minutes, but with a three-goal lead. Now, we did our damnedest to potentially throw it away, but... To be fair, it ended 3-1. It's not like it ever got that close. And, you know, I, I think there will be some people who might be critical of that, but I, I'm this is a game where I'm actually kind of okay with it. I think my one regret in a game that was full of so much promise is, I keep waiting for the moment where I can point and say, aha, Pepe is, is arriving, he's getting it. This game had a lot of promise. We finished in more of a counterattacking mode, and I still just felt that, the game passed Pepe by that he he didn't really contribute to that last 20 minutes. I mean, he comes on, I think in the 71st minute and it's the last 20 minutes statistically where we get battered. We're sitting deep and just trying to, to, to counter a bit and, and he just isn't able to influence it. So, I mean, it's really two points wrapped into one. I mean, one, do you feel more okay about the end game here and the way we sort of sat on that lead towards the end? And do you have the same misgivings I do about Pepe, you know, once again, just not, grabbing an opportunity to flash something I, and i'm not saying he should have scored a hat trick and made it 6-1 i'm just saying i he felt
2: anonymous to me so is is that an, mm.
1: a fair appraisal of how the game wound down
2: yeah sure so i'll address the first one first about how we ended the game but better teams than better arsenal teams than this have ended like this against mm-hmm. chelsea you know we beat them 3-0 at the emirates a couple of seasons ago second half was very much like this where we we didn't really lift a finger attacking wise and we managed the game um, I remember a game. It was New Year's Day, two thousand three. We played Chelsea at Highbury, and we were three nil up, and then Chelsea scored in the eighty fifth and I think the eighty eighth minute, and that was shit yourself scary. And that that was basically the Invincibles. Um, so you know we've we've been and and I think in two thousand ten eleven did we we beat them three one three nil up. They got a goal back with ten minutes to go. Was slightly nervy. So like we we have seen this happen before. I, I do think. Um, that that is just broadly the pattern these games fall into the the last few minutes probably felt more nervous to us because we're scarred frankly if we were I don't know Liverpool fans sitting at home watching this we probably would have thought Meh, yeah this is over um, but you know we have those scars and to be fair Chelsea have formed they came back from 3-0 down away at West Brom earlier in the season to force a 3-3 we know they have lots of attacking talent so um, I, I I can't believe they didn't bring Giroud on, given that they were chucking loads of crosses into the box. But, mm. um, you know, they, they have a below average coach, in, in my opinion. Um, as for Pepe, yeah, I, I share that disappointment. I share that disappointment because we, we've kind of made every excuse for Pepe going now. And then, like you say, we're in a position where actually we are going to play his game. All right. He he was on the left instead of the right. But still, um, you know, against Rhys James, who uh, Rhys James, I think a lot like Trent Alexander-Arnold, brilliant, you know, young English fullback, but can be got at defensively. And I think we got at him defensively and um, there were some doubts over his fitness coming into this game. I, I think I think there was the chance for Pepe to be more involved, to show for the ball a bit more. Um, and to and to perhaps make those runs in behind, and he, he's actually not bad at holding the ball up as well because his touch is so good. And and I think you're right. I don't I don't think he really offered any of that. I know there's that video doing the rounds on Twitter at the moment, um, where like uh, Tierney wants him to run in behind and he doesn't. He wants to come short and Tierney plays it in behind and he doesn't. And 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 actually I I think I think those isolated moments can often just be taken well out of context i've got no problem with when you're three nil up coming short for the ball and wanting to keep it um quite frankly and i didn't think the run behind the fullback was as on as as tierney um as tierney maybe thought but yeah i i, I think a little while ago i just accepted that this is who pepe is mm. that he's just he's just very inconsistent um within games he's he's a moments player and that's who he is i think um I think I think we've all tried, uh, you know, myself included. I think we've all tried to kind of make some excuses for him or come up with reasons, but but really, I I think we're beyond that now, a little bit. And I think for him, the emergence of Martinelli and Smith Rowe is as much a problem for him as it is for Willian um, as well. And and look, the other, the other thing is Saka played on the right here, and he played really well, and he looked a lot better than Willian and Pepe have. Um, So, you know, there's there's real challenge for those places now. Um, And look, if we fall into a bit of um, uh, a situation where Pepe is either a rotation option or a bench option, like I I think we're going to try to sell him this summer. Um, And obviously we're going to have to take a hit, but we can at least sell him for for Mm. money. Lil are in financial trouble. Maybe there's a way we can say, look, if we give you a percentage of the transfer fee we get, let's call it quits. Um, you know, maybe we can we can come to some kind of arrangement like that. But yeah. you know, this is a player, like, let's not crater his value. Let's use him. He doesn't have to be a bona fide starter every week. Let's let's keep using him, keep letting him have these moments. But yeah, I, I think I've just accepted that that's who he is now.
1: Yeah, you just hit on something really important. And I don't want to go down the road of squad building stuff on a pod about a, a win over Chelsea where we're limited in what we can talk about. But I think you hit on something that is why there's a philosophy about squad building to begin with, because I felt Pepe was too expensive with the price we paid, but I thought he was a can't miss, right? Just that talented can't miss. I still sort of believe in his talent, but I'm starting to just accept it's a miss for us. Because even in game, all season long, we've had excuses for him. Players don't get close to him, or they don't release him, or they don't find him. But like Saka played on the right in this game at times, you know, and like he was very good. And, you know, I mean, he showed it, it. it can be done. Um, now, you can say, well, Pepe didn't get a chance to play with Smith-Rowe this season. Okay, there, there's always a door open. But here's the point. William has been a failure for us, and we can't move him on. You can move Pepe. You're not going to get the 72 you paid for him. You never should have. But the point is, someone will look at it, you know his stats, which look fine because he scored some of the Europa League, and they'll look at some of the goals he scored, and they'll see some of his underlying metrics, and they'll look at where he was in France and say there's still a talent there and pay 40 million pounds for him because he's in his prime and he's talented you know and and you you'll lose money on him or 35 million whatever but that's because we overpaid. The point is when you buy a guy at that age you have an out. You know we don't have an out with William now, right? If if the end contract goes bad, we don't have an out with him and that. That is really just the point is that I think while I despair at, at Willian not making it for us, at least the club is not completely um ruined by that inability for him to thrive here now would it have been nice if we paid a reasonable fee instead of the Raul induced 72 million sure but that's life um Clive I mean uh before we move on to some final topics here do do you want to weigh in on on Pepe at all I mean I don't oh sorry 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 Clive I have to go to Paul who we had a bunch of banter back and forth in the messages that made me forget he had 30 seconds he wanted to add on Pepe so Paul sorry I, I got I got caught up in our haggling banter because Paul said to me I want 30 seconds on Pepe and I said you can have 27 seconds And then he said 25 seconds. That's just bad haggling. You don't have to go lower. I've already said I'll give you 27. You could have said 28 and a half seconds. But now you get 25 seconds on Pepe.
4: Half a a denarii for my life story or something. Uh, Mm -hmm. Look, all I want to say on Pepe, and I can't prove it at this point, is if we keep playing that style that we played against Chelsea, we'll see a new Pepe. might take a game or two. But he would have had a fucking field day in the first half. We got a bit of game state here in terms of when he came on in the second half. <clears throat> he wasn't great. Uh, he should still have been able to do something. But if Arteta backs off the rigid system and lets these guys in the final third weave their patterns, uh, Pepe will start to light things up. He just needs that. He needs a bit of chaos to play into instead of having two, three, four guys, uh, and and instead he just doesn't follow the plan because he's He's not really a planned follower, so it, uh, I'm not sure we're going to play this way all the time, and we're going to keep playing these younger fellows with the legs. But if we did, I think we'd see the best start to see the best of Pepe,
1: yeah, it's really tough. It's tough as hell for me to ever want to give up on a player with the immense talent that he appears to have, you know, the way he can strike the ball the way he can dribble at times. But you know, I, I look at the more the greater consistency, for example, in Saka just delivering the right ball on time, you know, the right weight, being in the right position. I just, I do wonder if, at least in the Premier League, at least at the highest level, not that we're playing at the highest level, you need more than just the really raw talent, and and maybe there's not enough polish there. And to Tim's point, he's a moments player, so I think he will always do some things that wow you, that make you say, surely we have to make this work because he's so talented. But will the moments ever be enough to overcome the rest of it? And I just don't know if that consistency is there. Like you, Paul, I would like to see him get some chances to play in a team that's playing the way we played against Chelsea. Whether we can reproduce that, um, Clyde. Before we move on to to a couple of final topics here, do you do you want to weigh in on the the Pepe issue? I mean, I don't think it's a big story from the game.
3: No, nah, it's not really a big story. I think he's a he's a good time player. We need this team needed Martinez to come back and lift it. Pepe wasn't going to lift it, right? So, but he'll come into a lifted team and play really well, and show his real talent. So, I'm I'm always loathe to give up on people. You know, I've done it too often in the past, uh, and they, there's always something there. You just whether you, it's good enough for us in the medium to long term. I think we've got to think about, you know, I'm con, I'm consistent on this. We've got to think about the standards of our players. You know, the real standards of our players. I don't want to do that on the back of a win. But, you know, and and Pepe's got to think about where he plays. The interesting thing about him and Saka and and Smith-Rowe, for example, I think the two youngsters were more aware of their starting positions on the pitch. You know, and Paul said, Arteta's rigid system. Well, you know what? what What do we think happened to this game? Do we think Arteta took the handbrake off? Or did the players just play well and move well? You know? and, and so I would like to see Pepe come inside 20 yards. And then from there, the world is open. The world is open to his talent. If he's on the touchline, his world is not open to him. If Bellerin's firing up, I think Bellerin made one inside run in this game, and that was for the goal, actually, Saka's goal. He's consistently made underlapping runs inside, and our talent be on the outside. And so for me, there's some systemic things there, some rigidity things there. I think Pepe also needs to take charge of his game and impose his game on the opponent. What that video clip was showing was that in that game state, in that moment, it was a safer ball for Tierney to turn them. It's a much riskier pass when he's that close. To pop it to him closely, the next pass isn't on. It's only a wall pass, and then what? And so by chipping it over the top, we push them back, we turn them, we can squeeze up And that's just game state management, and that's why he was frustrated. Mm -hmm. It's not an indictment of Pepe or Tierney, it's just game state. Someone coming on, someone who's been under the fire for a little while, and we're trying to get the win, he wants them to turn around. And that sort of intelligence is what I think Pepe lacks a little bit, but talent he doesn't lack. So he needs help with the intelligence side of the game, the positioning side of the game, the body positioning side of the game. When the ball's at his feet, he's absolutely slick. And he has got it, but he's more of a good time player, shall we say, than somebody's going to pull us up like Martinelli has done over the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, so that that creates the next challenge, Clive. And by the way, before we move on and wrap this up, I, I just do want to mention the penalty save from Leno comes at a really important moment. Um, given where we are in our season, given what's going on with with Arteta, given what's going on with just the, the state of the crisis at Arsenal, which I, I think it is fair to say it had reached crisis proportions. Um, I'm not going to say we, we don't win that game if he doesn't save that penalty, but I certainly think that if we're defending a one-goal lead down the stretch there with the pressure that was on us, it is possible that that game ends 3-3, and the devastation that would have wrought, I, I, I don't even think it bears um bears considering. So a huge kudos to Leno for coming up big <clears throat> in an absolutely critical moment. Um, so, you know, and, and again, whatever you think of whether we should have kept Martinez and so Leno or should have kept Leno and so Martinez, whatever the case is, Leno is far from one of the problems at Arsenal. And I, I, I don't think we give him credit when it's deserved. So kudos to him. Very big moment there. Clive, the the sort of final discussion point now is really what happens next. There are four games in the league coming up that look like an opportunity for this season to have a twist in the tail, so to speak. Um, You know, we're on 17 points through 15 games. It's not great, but coming off a win against Chelsea and with Brighton, West Brom, Palace, and Newcastle coming up, and then Southampton, which, you know, you could say that's a run of five games before Manchester United, but given how things went with Southampton last time, I mean, let's just take the four games. Let's start there. You know, you wouldn't really fancy a team that that just lost to to Burnley at home and you know was setting records for losses to go on a run now, but that's what's needed. And the win over Chelsea, I think, has revitalized people. And so I I think Arteta has a challenge. He needs a lot of points from these next four, maybe even these next five. If he does that, I think he has a chance to totally change the mood. Because you know, if you if you pick up twelve from fifteen, if you pick up you know ten from twelve, whatever the case may be, you you kind of move up the table to the point where now like you could get back into the europa league places you know people start to think maybe you know it was just the tough fixtures or a little unlucky with the red cards you can start to spin a story about why this season still has life in it and about why maybe arteta is you know deserves a second look a, a, a longer time to to prove his point the opposite is also true of this run beating chelsea looks great but if you can't take points from brighton west brom newcastle and palace He's going to find himself basically right back where he was, if not worse. The challenge is this little mini resurgence, if you want to call it that, is driven by a guy in Martinelli who's just coming back from long time injury, a guy in Smith Rowe whose career has been blighted by soft tissue injuries. Um, he's got a guy in Thomas Party who's going to be coming back from injury, who he doesn't want to rush back yet, and his star striker Aubameyang, coming back from injury, and you're not sure really where to play him. How does he manage this run? balancing the need to get points to rescue the season and change the narrative with the need to not break the young players and and you know somehow rotate knowing full well that losing any of these games with William in the starting lineup for example is going to lead to full scale revolt
3: yeah it's a tough one for him i think most important thing he has to do to, if he's trying to create a a perception outside of the club, which if I'm him, I wouldn't bother. You know, I'll just focus on what's going on inside But I think he he I do think he's a fast learner I do think he learns things really quickly It wasn't so long ago that we were desperate for drinks Baker Arsenal, you know, and why was that because every 25 minutes this guy would just come on The game would stop and, it, and after drinks bake the game would change The problem identification is not an issue for him on the pitch You know, you could say man management's an issue, given all the issues that have happened. If you're not somebody that likes him, or if you're somebody that thinks he's too inexperienced for a job we have. But I've always felt he's a really good coach. You can really see the game. And he just has to make sure that the players he has are going to reach their potential under him. And he's done that in one phase of Arsenal. He did that in this game. So, And Frank Lampard. Didn't do that in this game. Didn't make the substitution. Didn't spot the wide member being run off their feet quickly enough. Didn't bring on Giroud. Didn't. He just didn't do things correctly. And suddenly he's getting pelters. You know, he can't control his team. They're comparing him to Casol with the squad value, etc. Chelsea spent two hundred twenty-two million in the summer. To be fair, Lampard four.
1: sucks and is terrible, and we should all laugh at him.
3: Just, just to you're well, <laughs> if you know, beat us in this game you know and there are people that don't believe that and I, and I just believe very strongly that you're as good as your last training session you know, as simple as that as a manager as a coach you're as good as your last training session you're as good as your last conversation and it's all about that you've got to continue it time after time every every day you've got to bring in the top performances and That's what players look for because they look to see your weaknesses. And if I'm Arteta, I think he's got a little bit more time in his mind to create some more belief again. I think that was wavering. I think some of the gloss has gone off him a little bit. And I really want that to come back because I think he's a belief-based coach. I think he's a psychological coach. I think he's a one-to-one teaching coach. And he wants to get into people. And I think without that connection... And the ability to allow people to paint the picture of themselves to you as the coach, so you can coach them to their potential. I think he loses a big part of who he is. And so I was desperate for the serenity of results to allow him to reconnect to the players he needs to reconnect to. And what's really evident about this game is a group of players that are really, you can see, are 1,000% behind him, and they played completely above themselves and maximise. And I'm just hoping that there's more of those. Mm. And of those people that are watching and thinking, crikey, we're not dead. Look at this guy. He's doing something that maybe I should be doing for this team as a senior pro. And I'm hoping they take the message on board and bring that to to the next game they play. Because they will play. There's a hierarchy in the dressing of You have senior players, you have mid players, and you have junior players. The senior players are coming back. They are coming back. Way
1: to ruin a fun podcast.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But when they do, they come back under different circumstances. They come back with less leverage. They come back with all of our eyes keenly on them. And only one thing to do, play well. You better play well because these 18-year-olds are showing you how to play. And so you have Mm. to play. And so the situation has changed. Where we were thinking a few weeks ago, or not even that, two weeks ago, they were going to literally kick him out of the club by their non-running, non-performing. And yeah. we're thinking, crikey, they're not in... But they're longer in charge. They're longer in charge. And every single Arsenal fan around the world, when those players jog on the pitch next time, they won't be jogging around much longer. they have yeah. to run. If they don't run, we know the score. We know where the problem is.
1: Well, and I mean, it's tough, right? Because this is where you and I slightly disagree. Is it like, if... If the team keeps losing, you can't change the team. So, like, it, this was an important stopping of the bleeding. Um, I I I agree with you. There are some players that are absolutely disgraceful and shouldn't be at Arsenal, but they are at Arsenal. And then the question becomes, how do you live with that situation? So, Tim, let me finish with, with this. You know, I mentioned the four fixtures. You can look at it as five. Let's take it as four, just the four, though. Southampton away, I don't think, is one that you'd say, oh, easy, just go get the points. But I think, and not that Brighton is easy, but, you know, Brighton... Palace, Newcastle, and West Brom. And again, I understand West Brom, Big Sam could be challenging, but like you've you got to take big points there. This is the hard thing about Arsenal. Beating Manchester United at Old Trafford was literally a historic moment. We followed it up losing 3-0 to Villa at home, battered by Leeds in a draw, losing to Wolves, losing to Spurs, losing to Burnley, battered by Southampton in a draw, losing to Everton, losing to City in the cup. Those were the results that followed the historic win away at old Trafford. Now there's a fun win at home to Chelsea. This is what makes this sport so tricky because the high emotionally from that win is all I can really think about. And I'm envisioning us taking 12 points from 12. The reality is he has to confirm what we just saw with results now. So for you, how many points from the next 12 does he have to take? Does the club have to take? You know, you know, a tricky time too to manage the squad, as I mentioned. He's gonna he's gonna have to rest Martinelli sometime and rest Smith Rowe and bring back yeah. Willie. And those players are gonna have to play. How many points does he have to take in those game in those four games, for you to feel that the season can actually kind of get on track and some of the cloud hanging over the the club and the team and the players can be lifted um, and get a kind of fresh start? Especially given that the window's opening and maybe you can bring in reinforcements.
2: Yeah, sure. I I think ten. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. they should be aiming for. 12. Of course, they should be aiming for twelve. That's a redundant thing to say, but I, like I think even in this kind of um, you know funk they've been in, they should of course they should be aiming for twelve because they've given up too many points already. And if they're serious about getting in the top six, even the top four, um, then they absolutely have to look at this as as a time that they're that they're going to win points. And I think that's the interesting thing about um, not the fallout from this, but these are actually the type of games that we kind of know Arsenal can do well in um, when they've got, a, you know, potentially a bit more space and they're not playing a deep block. I don't know if anyone watched West Brom take a point at Anfield um, yesterday, but that that was, I had the sweats. wasn't
3: viewing, was it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I had the sweats watching that because we've got West Brom after we've got Brighton. And, um, and so isn't it we ironic know, Tim that we're talking about an Arsenal where we're like yeah yeah we know they can get the big game points but can they beat yeah. up on the
1: little teams <laughs>
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly, like the opposite of what we exactly. used to be. it, it has and, and you know the reality is of the Premier League that's the challenge you face the most um, as Arsenal you face playing teams that are smaller than you um, and, and that's what Arsenal have got coming up and, and that to me if, if they can regularly play those games dominate them create chances win them look if one of them turns out to be a draw, because I don't know, we have an unlucky day. We hit the bar. I don't know. um, The other team gets a goal. You know, a bit like Liverpool's draw with West Brom, right? If that happens, but we win the other three, you kind of go, okay, that, that will happen. Sometimes that happened to us when we were really good. Um, But, Really, I, I think consistently we've got to show aptitude in these games, and that's something that Arteta hasn't proved that he can do yet at any point in his managerial reign. And so that's why this is such an interesting um, kind of block of fixtures for him. Um, and and you know they're not even teams like Wolves and Leeds who are not like top six sides. That you know or or Everton. They're in like the rung just below that where you kind of look at them and you say, well, actually, that's probably where we are in the yeah. league. Um, you know, that's probably our kind of our kind of uh, status um, at the moment, quite honestly. But th- these this are is teams. You know, <laughs> this is <below>. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is like, this is relegation battlers. Um, now, I, yeah. I think Brighton are maybe slightly. And that's like the I'd next think. game, which is a shame, right? Yeah. The trickiest
1: of them, well, maybe West Brom will be, but you know what I mean? It's a shame that it's yeah. not like like the home game against Newcastle, you know, something where you could yeah. just, a banker as they say. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and Newcastle, have, you know, they've had issues with COVID, and I know um Steve Bruce has kind of been questioning whether a lot of his players are still feeling the effects of that at the moment. But yeah, absolutely. And and it's a real shame that it's come so quickly as well, because I'd love to see that same team just start yeah. the next game. Um, And were there kind of six, seven days till the next game, I think there's a chance that might happen, but I, I don't think it really can. No. Um, don't Bryson still try
4: and play a bit of football? I mean, all, all yeah. the ones we're facing... Uh, yep. Brighton at home, that that there's a reasonable chance yep. that that what we did against Chelsea might be kind of useful if Brighton play a little football. Whereas West yeah. Brom, fuck.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. West Brom is the ultimate like beta test yeah. for all of this. Like, you know. Well, seeing as how we did against <laughs> Burnley, it should be fine, you guys. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, sorry to wrap up. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I, I was. Yeah, I was just. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, we we actually haven't beaten Brighton um, since they came back up. Um, so that's, you know, that's that's potentially another, uh, you know, another little kind of cycle. I'm not sure how much that stuff matters, but and also Brighton played, I think, the day after us, didn't they? I think they've got a day less to prepare for this. So, yep, they do you know we we've 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 at least we know we've got a squad there right we, you know bamiang's back in full training he'll be back in the squad we can share the minutes between him and martinelli i'm sure that was the plan for this game it just turned out we didn't need um to risk a Bamiyang. Yeah. i'm sure it was a let's do 70 20 he learned from the party that. mistake earlier you know yeah yeah and 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 we can do that the other way you know we can either do that again or we can do it the other way around like th- there is a bit of squad there potentially for him and we should be fresher than Brighton so that this to me big big test right yep. now
1: 10 points for that. look I I hate that I'm pushing you guys but I have literally just fully completely run out of time here uh as I'm trying to solo parent while my wife works while our daycare is closed so I appreciate everyone for uh putting up with me trying to usher the pod out which we have to do now I, I guess it's the point right from from the United game we were so high we then were set so low i mean the question now the headline will be written is this fresh start or false dawn and uh, tim you said 10 points from 12 i think 10 from 12 would be fantastic and i think it would it would set us on our way to be able to turn the season around and uh you know with the january window maybe then some things could be done to do that and uh that's a discussion for another day and uh there's a lot more podcasts coming so i will end this here so that i can go be a parent uh though it pains me to do so pause on twitter pause my pants thanks pause Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter Clive PFC. thanks Clive
2: thank you very much
1: Tim's on Twitter Stuberto. thanks Tim
2: my pleasure as always
1: hope you enjoyed it as much as we did I, I I will say analysis is fun winning is more fun winning rules beating Chelsea rules and I loved every second of it I hope you did too we do love you we hope you're having a great holiday season and, and a new year coming up but we will still talk to you sooner than that so we love you and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10 right now <laughs>